Instacart helps you get beer and wine delivered in as fast as an hour. So, whether you need to fill the cooler for tailgate season or fill your glass for Pinot by the fire season, you can save time by getting fall sips delivered in just a few clicks. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Must be 21 or over for alcohol delivery where available. Instacart. Add life to cart. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I would like to start this podcast by saying thank you. Thank you to fellow Sharks fans who have shown your love and support through the last four years. Thank you to the Tillis and Sharks territory for sticking with Shark City Hockey through all the noise. Thank you for making our content hit across the board on social media. And thank you for listening to the Shark City Podcast. Big shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network for connecting with us back in November and inviting Shark City to be a part of the family. As I always say, Shark City Hockey is a proud affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you for supporting our unique yet genuine takes on San Jose Sharks hockey. I would like to say thank you to everyone on the Shark City hockey team. My voice and my art are often featured, but I am not the only member of the squad. Thank you to everyone for your contributions and collaborations throughout the years. And thank you to San Jose Sharks admin on Twitter for finally swimming with Shark City hockey and following the account a couple months back, baby. Yeah, (laughs) it's the Shark City Super Show. It's going to be a Megalodon episode. Welcome to the 70th edition of the Shark City Podcast. We are going to review and react to the San Jose Sharks 2022-23 NHL season. It was a long season, but the game plan here for this episode is to focus on eight main topics that stood out to me personally this season. So rather than spit out a chronology and dive deep into stats or analytics, I'm going to keep it casual and speak on the following. Mike Greer become the general manager of the Sharks. David Quinn's first season as the head coach. The Sharks changing their uniforms. Patrick Marlowe's jersey retirement. Brent Burns trade. The Timo Meyer trade. Eric Carlson's historic season. And the Tank for Badar phenomenon. In no particular order. But that's what you can expect from this episode. Alright. So let's get to it. I think a good place to start more than likely is, you know, with Mike Greer. My whole thing with Mike Greer is what took the San Jose Sharks so long, so long to sign their fifth general manager in franchise history. So on July 5th, 2022, Mike Greer officially became the San Jose Sharks general manager and simultaneously became the first black general manager in National Hockey League history. All right. When I say what took the shark so long, why am I asking that question? Because he was introduced as the general manager just two days before the NHL draft. And the whole entire summer, even before the summer, really, like if you really like look into it, it was going down back in April. So a year ago, Sharks fans were hearing 
names and potential candidates for general managers. You know, we heard Kevin Weeks was going to be the general manager of the San Jose Sharks. And then we heard Scott Mellenby and Scott Nickel and so on and so forth, right? <clears throat> so when Mike Greer's name came up, I felt like Sharks territory, Sharks territory knew it was a given. Not to say that anybody else that interviewed for the position wasn't more qualified or as qualified. I'm just simply saying that, um, you know, things start to align in Sharks territory. So nonetheless, Mike Greer, he becomes the general manager on July 5th, 2022, the very same night. So, okay, he's here downtown San Jose. He's in the building at the Shark Tank, right? He goes on to social media and he kind of drops the news himself. Right, does a little selfie video, says that you know he couldn't wait to get, you know, to to win some more games in that building. That comment didn't age well. It is what it is. <laughs> this season definitely wasn't getting more wins in that building. But anyways, um, back to the point. Um, the same day, okay, he flies out to Montreal to attend the annual general managers uh, meeting. You know, right there at the draft. So. So July 6th, so the second day, you know, so this is Mike Greer era, day two. And, um, <clears throat> you know, every all the general managers at the meeting got the news about Brian Marchment's passing. Okay, so um, that's the other thing I just kind of want to, I just want to kind of touch up on, you know what I'm saying? Because that was a big moment leading into this season as well. And um, before I go on any further, I just want to say that my thoughts and prayers are still with the Marchment family. Okay. Um, so Mike Greer and the commissioner, Gary Bateman, they all pay their condolences and, you know, they show their respect to the family and friends and to, you know, his colleagues and staff. Because Brian Marchment, even though he played about six seasons with the San Jose Sharks, he served as a development coach and a scout for 15 years. Okay. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, they said, you know, they said, um, you know, Micro gave himself, <clears throat> or excuse me, uh, Micro said that he has given the staff some time to regroup, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they're processing grief. And, um, this quote I just want to share really quick. I know Mush, that's what he would say. He would want us to get back to work and do our best and have the best draft possible so we'll get back to work, end quote. And they did. That quote, by the way, is from the NHLPA.com, all right? So, yeah, Mike Greer um, and the Sound of the Sharks, they went back to work. And um, one of the biggest things about draft day outside of having to now still try to like you know process the loss of Brian Marchman and I am limited obviously to my experience with Brian Marchman I only was able to you know the the impact that he had on my life was limited to what I witnessed him do on that rink while wearing a San Jose shark sweater uh, but nonetheless Brian Marchman had an impact you know a big impact on my life as a fan Okay, I just wanted to share that so I'd understand why other fans out there would also, um, you know, be affected by this loss. And it's a huge loss. I think one of the things about the Sounds of Sharks, really quick, as I as I uh, wrap my thoughts on this, uh, about the Sounds of Sharks organization, is that 
Um, they're really good at keeping, you know, the family, uh, the close-knit family. You know, you'll see players uh, look at Doug Wilson, the first captain, and then how long he served as a general manager. Uh, that right there, let that be an example. Um, the South East Sharks, uh, they tend to, you know, <clears throat> uh, keep the alumni and keep um, players that, you know, had a huge, you know, regardless of how you how they were remembered, you know, on the ice. Um, the Sharks tend to take care of their people, and that's all I'm going to say. I want to drop it like that, okay? Uh, Mike Greer was a former teammate of uh, Brian Marchman, the Oilers. You know, imagine imagine that tremendous task of not just having to be, you know, a, a general manager in the league without necessarily the general manager experience, because obviously that noise is being made out there, right? There were critics to his, um, you know, to the announcement of him being hired as a GM. Let's just be honest. And then you have, um, you know, the fact that he is breaking a barrier and, you know, his hiring with the Sharks is a, within itself is, you know, a historic moment in time. Definitely a historic moment in the world of hockey. And, you know, just the fact that it's a sound like Sharks, right? So you have like the this tremendous um, task ahead of you of trying to maximize on contracts um you know salary cap space your prospects um, your veterans etc right it was obvious that he was gonna have to make some moves in order to um set up this the franchise's future you know for success because obviously what he inherited wasn't working right anyways so back to the point <clears throat> you know imagine just the pressure of all that and then you have to grieve grieve a a colleague and a friend and etc so I have mad respect for Mike Greer. That's all I'm trying to say. You know, and it was tough, but they did, um, you know, the best they could with honoring, you know, Brian Marchment's memory, given the circumstances and the way it all, you know, and that's all I'm going to say. So let's move on. <clears throat> so the Sound of the Sharks' first big move in the Mike Greer era came in the first round of the 2022 NHL entry draft. Much to Shark fans' dismay because... Uh, they had the 11th overall pick, and a lot of us were waiting. We were eager. We were anxious, right? They had the 11th overall pick heading into the draft, and a lot of fans wanted to know, you know, who essentially or potentially would be paired with last season's 7th overall selection in William Eklund. Um, <laughs> I kind of remember it was kind of a deflating moment if you were a fan that was not just watching the draft but also engaging online in your respective social media communities um, but it is what it is um, Sharks fans had to wait till they selected 27th overall because the deal for um, the 11th pick was with Arizona so the Sharks acquired the 27th overall pick in the first round two second round picks at 34th and the 45th overall which I feel like it was a solid deal considering the Sharks did not have a second-round pick heading into the draft. And as a result, the Sharks were able to select Sediment Philip Bistead and Cameron Lund and defenseman Matthias Havilid. Uh, for those who are curious, Arizona, they got the 11th overall pick, and with that, they selected Connor Geeky, the 18-year-old center 
scored 77 points in 66 games with the Winnipeg Ice in the WHL this season. You know, as for the remaining draft class, third round, Sharks drafted defenseman Michael Fisher, 76 overall. Goaltender Mason Bupit, 108th overall. In the fourth, D-man Jake Furlon. In the fifth, winger Joey Muldowney. In the sixth, defenseman Eli Barnett. And the one I really want to focus on, uh, so seventh round pick, um, so Eli Barnett. But the last seventh round pick was a San Jose native and a former Junior Sharks player, Reese Labak. I thought that draft pick was interesting um, because I feel like that was a testament of how San Jose Sharks have impacted and grown the sport of hockey in the Bay Area. Okay, so for those of you who are not aware, um, the Sharks, they tend to build, I think they call them till tops at this point, but think of it as street hockey rinks. And they would build these in communities. Often they'll be um, either at a park, like most recently Merced, or a little bit more North Bay. I think they put them in like elementary schools. They also have Sharks Ice around the Bay Area, and that helps, you know, um, introduce the community to ice hockey, right? Because obviously the till tops is street hockey. You play it with your sneakers. But back to the point, Rick Labot is a testimony to how the Sharks are impacting the Bay Area and how they've grown the sport here, specifically in San Jose. And um, I'll be honest with you. I hope that... That kid, Rieselbach, ends up being like a Joe Pavelski type of draft pick. Joe Pavelski was selected seventh overall. And I think that right there would be one heck of a story. You know, the hometown kid gets selected by the team that he grew up watching, played in their development um, leagues, and, you know, ends up ends up actually making it to the NHL level. So we're rooting for you anyways. That would be an amazing story. I really would. Okay. So, um, you're still with me, right? <laughs> Good, because we're about to dive a little bit deeper into uh, Mike Greer and how he shaped the team as his first uh, year with the general, as a general manager. <clears throat> so, let's just quickly revisit. I'm not going to, like, you know, spend a significant amount of time. I just want to revisit all the uh, players that Mike Greer brought with him via, uh, brought on board the San Jose team via free agency. Um, so we're going to start with some of the signings that occurred on July 13th. That was Oscar Lindblom, Matt Benny, Nico Sturm, Marcus Navarra, Aaron Dell, comeback tour, CJ Seuss, Andrew Agazzino, all right, um, Evgeny Semvestnikov, and Scott Harrington. So that those names, the ink started to dry July 13th, uh, July 14th for another half of them. And then I believe um, Sveshnikov was late, uh, early September. Scott Harrington at the end of September, right? So um, we heard those names a lot. Andrew Agazino for me, that right there is like I think that is like the one that stands out the most because he was the captain of the Cuda and he set some records this season, right? Um, as far as you know, the Sharks go in terms of. You know, the free agency acquisitions, I would say maybe Nico Sturm is definitely someone who I would uh, say keep my eye on. I mean, he signed for three years, right? Matt Benning, for all the wrong reasons, I think, also stands out. Um, <laughs> uh, so now we're going to go a little bit into, you know, some of the transactions, right? So let's get into some of the trades and then we'll, we'll do some of the stuff leading up to um, to the trade deadline here. 
Uh, so Luke Coonan, he was acquired from Nashville in exchange for John Leonard in a 2023 third round selection that went down on July 8th. Um, Luke Coonan was inked to a deal in San Jose um, on the uh, 18th of July. So look at that, you know, July 8th. So already just right after the draft, Mike Greer is already processing transactions. All right. He's already making moves on the trade block. Um, the biggest one, however, which, you know, can't really dance around is Brent Burns, right? Brent Burns, a 37-year-old defenseman at the time, just finished the season. His last season with the Shark, he had 54 points, 10 goals, 44 assists in 82 games. He um, had three years remaining on his contract, a $64 million eight-year deal. The famous San Jose 8x8. <laughs> and um, he was the Sharks' all-time leader in goals. 172 assists, 422 points, 594 power play goals, 54. And power play points, 205. A Mox defenseman. Obviously, you know, Eric Carlson, you know, he made some noise this season too, right? Uh, but yeah, Brent Burns by far is probably going to go down as probably one of the best if not the best defensemen in Sharks history uh, so that was a huge huge deal outside the fact that Brent Burns is a huge guy right um, the Viking or Wookiee take your you know take your your pick he um, he's having himself a quite quite a year too in Carolina I just want to show some respect I mean for a while his name was kind of in there in the race for a Norris as well. He may have fell off, and probably nobody else can be considered now that Carlson had um, reached that 100-point mark, officially ended the season 101. But, um, yeah. It also it also made, you know, that Brent Burns deal for me, really quick, this is going to be pure reaction, okay? So, um, actually, should we? Yeah, let's just talk about the details of that deal really quick. So the Sharks acquired Stephen uh, Lorenz and E2 McIniemi out of that deal, as well as a 2023 third-round selection. And um, Lane Peterson was also sent that way as part of uh, the package. Uh, so, you know, that's like, okay, so right there is like the first biggest trade that Mike Greer has had, and that was Brent Burns. But for me as a Sharks fan, that, that right there on July 13th signified like real change real change happening with the Sharks team I know a lot of you out there thought that Eric Carlson should have been the one that was sent in another direction but Brent Burns per the reports are the one that essentially walked through the door and told Mike Greer that hey you know this isn't working I need to go somewhere else right I mean, I'm completely like summarizing or paraphrasing whatever you want to say, right? But that's essentially how it went down. So, and that that tend, that tend to be one of the, the things, one of the themes, pardon me, with Mike Greer that I noticed in season two is it seems as if, you know, like uh, first foremost, you know, he's, he made comments about how essentially, unless your name was Tomas Hurdle, nobody is safe from being shipped, shipped off, right? Traded, cut, bought out, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but for Brent Burns, that that first name to like you know uh, be traded to Carolina, that right there for me, uh, that right there really signified 
uh, that change was going to begin um, in San Jose. So let's talk about, um, you know, since we're on the topic, we might as well talk about uh, the Timo Meyer trade. Like that right there is another huge trade, okay? So um, obviously the season's over. It's going to be still, I think it's still too early. Maybe not so much with, with Brent Burns. Like we could all have like a general idea of like, you know, the whole season without Brent Burns. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Without Brent Burns, Eric Carlson flourished. And, you know, we got to see that there really isn't someone solid <laughs> uh, to keep up with Eric Carlson on the roster because they keep getting dealt away. Anyways, um, but yeah, with, with the whole team of Meyer trade thing, maybe that'll open up opportunities for Hurdle, right, to start scoring. But I think it's still a little bit too early t- to see how that ripple effect, I mean, the ripple effect on how it has on the team and the roster. You know, I say by next season, um, you know, some one of these guys are going to have to answer to call, and more than likely it's going to be Eklund or Bordalo or one of these prospects. Um, I think a little bit too much is on Hurdle's shoulders. I think if we get um, some of those guys up, like he'll start to flourish. But we'll see, you know, again, we'll see how the Timo Meyer trade ripple uh, effect continues I think we'll we'll know by midway through the season. My opinion, my opinion only. But specifically, let's talk about that deal, okay? Um, it was a nine-player deal. It was huge. All right. So, um, let's see. Andreas Johnson, Shakir Mukamadulin, Nikita Ohakichuk, Fabian Zetterlin from the Shark side. Scott Harrington, Timo Meyer, Santeri Hataka, Timur Ibergrimov, Zach Edmond, and then, you know, a handful of trades from a handful of draft picks from both teams, right? But that deal with New Jersey, uh, that's another one of those deals where, me personally, I was just glad it was over with because they've been talking about Timo Meyer going to the East Coast for almost two years now. Yeah, almost two years, like a year and a half. It was pretty obvious that he was on his way out. And I want to talk about that because there's a story, and I don't know if most of you are aware of this, but apparently <laughs> um, Timo Meyer ran into what eventually were going to be his future teammates in Mexico. All right? So trip on this. This story comes out of uh, NJ.com. All right? Um it says it's late. So this happened in late January, right? But Timo Meyer was in Mexico, and it was All Star break. And you know, this whole entire time leading up to the All Star break, Timo Meyer's name was being thrown out there. He was considered, you know, the number one um, targeted um, trade deadline uh, player, right? Like he was. The prize of the trade deadline. It's so funny that the Sharks decided to trade him prior to that. But anyways, it really messed for the for those who want to do a trade deadline show. That's for sure. But uh, back to the point. He ran into Tomas Tatar and Eric Hula. All right, and this is what they say. All right, so this is uh, this is Haula. We're just having a good time, and we saw Timo, and was like, "Hey, are you ready to come to New Jersey?" Then I just introduced myself. He was there with his friends, and we were separate groups, but it was fun to run to him and say hi. It's funny how it worked out. 
And then this is what Timo Meyer had to say, okay? So just talking to them, all right, it made me even more excited to be here. <laughs> so even those guys, okay, even guys, Timo Meyer himself and players on the New Jersey team, you know, they're chatting up in Mexico. Just even they knew that this deal was about to happen. It was just a matter of time. So I'm just glad it was over with. But Mike Greer is the one to get it done. All right, that's the whole point of this. Mike Greer is the one to get it done. All right. Um, so again, uh, review and reaction to this season. Thank you for you know keeping along. We're almost about to wrap up the Mike Greer segment here. Um, let's just talk about some of the um, other guys that came along for the ride this year. Uh, Mikey Asimot. That was one of my one of my favorite things about Mikey Asimot is that was like for me that was like we straight up flipped. And I don't mean any disrespect. All right, but it is what it is. If you want to know why there's advanced analytics on players, it's because that right there is essentially how general managers, coaches, owners, etc., can evaluate, you know, um, you know, evaluate essentially the stock of a player because that's what they're doing, right? They're playing these guys to perform. To me, Mikey Asimov was one of the greatest flips in recent memory because he was claimed off of waivers from the Winnipeg Jets, and then he was traded away, okay, for um, Vladislav Nemstnikov, and then we went ahead and traded that guy for one of, back to Winnipeg for one of their picks. <laughs> I love it, baby. I love it. Anyways, um, and yeah, then there's Jacob Peterson who, you know, was acquired from Dallas for Scott Reedy. That right there kind of threw me off. I was hoping to see Scott Reedy have um, a longer tenure in San Jose, but it is what it is. And so, yeah, that's, um, I guess, you know, that's pretty much all I have to say about my career in terms of his first year. I took to social media and asked fans out there how y'all felt and, uh, you know, to give, give him a grade. If you could put a grade on his first year. And um, the majority, 39% of you, gave him an average, a C grade, okay? If you want to know the numbers all the way down, 6% for A, 23% gave a B, and D slash F was 32%. So over uh, the you know, majority, 39% of you out there in Sharks territory gave um, Mike Greer, his first year, a C grade rating. All right. Um, so yeah, that's all I gotta really say. That's all I really feel about Mike Greer becoming the um, fifth general manager in Sharks history. And you know, I'm excited to see what they're gonna do and what he'll bring. Um, you know, this off season. I'm curious to see if they'll move Carlson. Um, but what what I do know for certain is that there's still nobody safe on the Sharks roster unless you're Tomas Hurdle. And um, honestly, I think he should he should kind of be um, skating on eggshells too, to be honest with you. But I think Mike Greer is going to get the San Jose Sharks back into the playoffs. I would say, I would boldly say, as as early as next season, I, I would I would like to say that we are contending for a wild card spot next season for sure. If not, we might even be taking the division. I really feel that the Sharks have the players that they. Um, that they need. I think they have them now, the players, you know, to get them back contending for a cup. It's just a matter of time. I mean, it's just a matter of when the um, the Sharks are willing to, you know, 
put them on the full-time status on the main roster. Now I want to kind of react and give my reaction to uh, David Quinn, all right? So I want to keep it pretty fair. First and foremost, on July 26th, Mike Greer introduced David Quinn as the 11th head coach in San Jose Sharks franchise history, all right? Um, but he was a head coach of the New York Rangers from 2018 to 2021. He was also a head coach for Team USA in the 2022 Winter Olympics and the 2022 World Championship. Um, here's a little stat from David Quinn that I thought was pretty uh, sus. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but his first NHL win was a 3-2 overtime victory against the Sharks at Madison Square Garden when he was a coach of the Rangers on October 11th, 2018. His first NHL win as a head coach of the San Jose Sharks was a 3-2 overtime victory against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden on October 21st, 2022. I don't know what else to say in terms of milestones outside of like, okay, he got his 100th career win on November 11th against uh, Dallas, right? And, And also... You know, um, he was announced per USA Hockey. David Quinn was named the head coach of the 2023 U.S. Men's National Team that will compete in the International Ice Hockey Federation's Men World Championship this coming May, so in a matter of weeks. All right. A lot of people out there, they they said that he has a reputation of not being able to develop prospects, okay? And that was news to him when he was asked during his introductory news conference on July, um, you know, back in July. And he didn't have any clue as to, um, you know, like he never heard that before. Okay. And I just want to, I just want to share this with you. Okay. This right here, this is quote, this is from um, the assistant general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets and apparently the general manager of the 2023 U.S. Men's National Team, uh, Chris Clark. He said, It's great to have David coaching our team again this year. He knows the player pool extremely well and understands the dynamics involved in preparing a team to win a gold medal on the world stage. So, you know, those are his, you know, these are the guys, you know, those are his peers, his colleagues, and also the guys that are, you know, essentially name, you know, giving him the head coaching position and trusting him to like, you know, have these athletes, you know, perform and try to compete for that gold on the world stage. Right. So it's probably the reason. You know, so what I'm trying to say with that is that's probably the reason why he was so confused when he was asked about having a reputation of not being able to develop prospects. Right. And all I'm going to say is if there's the whole reason I'm bringing this all up is if there's any opportunity to shed that stigma or dogma, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's going to be here in San Jose because you're going to have Thomas Bortolo, William Macklin, and I know we have other players, but we're all really, really wondering who it's going to be this draft, right? If the Sharks can win the lottery, then we already know the answer to that. But should they have a top five selection? I think it goes without saying that this year's draft selection is going to, the expectation is for that to be a future first liner, right? First line, our NHL starter, right? Anyways, so, you know, you have the opportunity right now, Mr. David Quinn, to prove everyone wrong 
by having some world-class prospects under your, uh, you know, or right there on your bench. This year, David Quinn, all right, so 22 wins, 44 losses, 16 overtime losses, all right? So just for comparison's sake, Bob Booner last year, 32, 37, 13. All right, he had 77 points, 47% of his... <laughs> Anyways. Last year under Bugner, the Sharks were averaging 2.57 goals for a game, 3.18 goals against a game. As far as goaltending goes, the save percentage, 0.902. Right? Or 0.9. Long story short, it was, it was high. This year under Quinn, the Sharks... Slightly better in goals for 2.84, but goals against definitely changed. 3.84 a game. As far as goaltending goes, 0. 0.881. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's all Bootsy. So, you know, what's that to say? Do you pin it all on Quinn? Apparently the Sharks aren't playing with enough swag. I don't know. All right, enough about this head coaching talk. Let's let's get down to some more interesting stuff. So for me, I think one of the biggest things for me that also symbolically, obviously, right, like symbolized change was the new uniforms. I know a lot of you out there, they, they treat the Sharks like they can never do wrong. And that's cool. That's cool with me. All right. And I've already given my take on this, and I promised that I wouldn't bring it up again. But guess what? This is the season review, and how can you not talk about the Sharks' new uniforms? First and foremost, uh, that was some exciting times for a moment there, right? They broke the internet, as the expression goes, and they were um, first leaked, right? It was first leaked online, concept art. It was a screenshot, essentially, of a um, computer, of a laptop screen or whatever, picture of a a screenshot anyways and then they actually found themselves on the racks at a local store here in San Jose and yeah I, I would go I was first to go I gotta first say that you know at first I wasn't feeling them and I'll be honest with you right now I'm still not feeling them <laughs> I don't care for them uh, nor did I care for the Reverse Retro 2.0. So I'm so glad that they are, are scrapping that idea because with the last one, uh, the, or the first one with, you know, the dorsal gray, if that's what you want to call it, um, I think what they did is they took a pretty, you know, they, they poorly executed a um, a classic jersey design, okay? Those sleeves were done sloppily, and honestly, like, they could have done so much more with, uh, the 2.0 version with Sharks, you know, with a 30-plus year of history of Sharks jerseys. But they decided for some reason to go to, like, honor the greater Bay Area and go, you know, with a throwback to a team that is, I don't care how you say it, their history belongs to the Dallas Stars. And I'll say this one more time. This would be like the San Francisco 49ers playing in silver and gray to throw it back or silver and black to throw it back to the Oakland Raiders 
It just makes no sense. It makes no sense because, you know, Bay Area, right? Like, it just makes zero sense. Anyways. Um, but let's talk about the Evolve jerseys, all right? Um, they need that black to break, you know, give some contrast. They need that black, whether it's a helmet or the gloves or the pants. You know what I'm saying? But to go till head to toe, I think they're trying really hard to push this, um, you know, whole... Like, till everything, right? Everything you hear from him is like, till this, till that. Till, I mean, I get it. <laughs> okay. We get it. All right. But, yeah, I just, I think the only thing on this new uh, revised look of the Sharks that's anything worthwhile, in my opinion, is the secondary logo, the shoulder patches. You know, it's essentially the original Shoulder patch, but a modern look rather than being gray. It's black. I think that kind of works. It does. Obviously, the away jerseys are the best looking one because they actually, in my opinion, remind us of the original home threads in the 91 inaugural season, right? Um, but yeah, they obviously try to mesh the old look with a kind of like the current look. For some reason, they felt like they had to keep the orange right there underneath the um, the collar in the back. Don't know why, but they they just felt the urge they need to keep it. But anyways, um, I do like how the stripe, the middle stripe, I like the texture. I like how it has kind of like waves, this texture. I think that's kind of cool. Kind of pops a little bit too, right? Uh, in terms of the color goes, in terms of fabric. Uh, but overall, I think the home jerseys, the all-till, it's just it's a little busy, a little much. Um, and yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like a little underwhelming. I personally feel, if I could be 100 with you, uh, first and foremost, I hope that, you know, with this whole new Fanatic still coming along, that they take the opportunity to be creative and maybe do another design. Chances are they're not. But I would hope that they would take advantage of that and maybe even bring back, you know, the old school look. But on that note, I really feel that these jerseys are going to be the jerseys that are designated to toward the time when, like, the Sharks were either, like, they're not going to say they're retooling or rebuilding, but that's what this reminds me of, okay? Uh, case in point, um, I feel like a real reason why Sharks fans miss those old school heritage look is because it reminds us of a time of when Sharks hockey was not just exciting, but they were actually dominating, right? Um, some of you like the previous threads because it reminds you of the Stanley Cup final run, so I'll give you that, right? However, um, these this new logo or, the, or that new look, I felt like there is just too much associated with it, right? Like too much, like almost opportunities, you know, whether it was when they won the president trophy or when they had the Clarence Campbell bull, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it was always almost, but never raising the cup. And that's why I feel like it was kind of time to go from what was the Reebok edge slash Adidas prime to, you know, go back to what they used to be. Um, 
you know, pick or choose heritage jersey, or I personally wouldn't mind if they went back to like you know the 1999 2000 era. You know what I'm saying? I think that would be sick as well. But anyways, but these jerseys remind me, or I feel like they're going to remind me of a time when Sharks hockey was horrible. (laughs) Like, you know, like they're going to remind me of a time of like when, or, 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 you know, it'll remind, or it'll become the jerseys where like, you know, maybe they finally win the cup. Who knows? But I can't help but feel like the reason why we didn't get the heritage look for some of those who are wondering, well, why didn't the Sharks bring it back to the heritage? Arizona brought it back with a Kachina. Why not the Sharks? And I think the biggest reason for that is is because the Sharks aren't ready. They're not ready. I don't think... I think the last thing I want to see is the Sharks really look like they're throwing it back to the 90s and, you know, get smashed on while wearing those beautiful jerseys. I would prefer, you know, that they have this all head-to-toe till while they're trying to work out the kinks and figure out exactly, you know, where it's headed or or what it's going to take for them to try to get to that Stanley Cup. And then right when they're on the verge of trying to get that Stanley Cup, maybe, just maybe then, bring back the heritage uh, white to go with the heritage till and make it a full-time thing. That's just my opinion. Um, as far as, you know, some of you out there, so we asked, we asked fans out there, um, should the Sharks use the um, upcoming switch to Fanatics in 2024, should they use that as an opportunity to perhaps, you know, redesign their uniforms or change their uniforms. And um, surprisingly, 65% of you said no. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Prior to the season beginning, the Sunday Sharks preseason odds at winning the Stanley Cup was a plus 15,000. With an over/under of seventy-six point five. All right. All that to say is, the Sharks missing the postseason for the fourth consecutive year was something that the Tillis fans were hoping would not occur, but definitely was the expectation being spread amongst all the hockey insiders experts, personalities, etc. What is this leading to? The tank for Bedard phenomenon that overtook Sharks territory during what happened to be um, you know, one of the most historically worst seasons in recent memory. 
Okay, so last season, the Sharks set a record for most consecutive seasons without making the playoffs. Never in the history of the Sharks did they ever miss the playoffs for three years. So any any more time stacked on top of that, it's just extending this already uh, broken record, all right? So it's just making it even bigger. Um, at the beginning of last season, just like the beginning of this season and so on, I always hope and, you know, cheer for my Sharks to, you know, Earn a victory, earn a dub, get those two points in the standings, secure a spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's what it's all about, right? You don't believe me? Ask Eric Carlson or Lowen Couture, who have on uh, multiple times talk of, you know, they've mentioned on record about wanting to win and not pretty much, you know, like playing their best hockey or not getting any younger. You know what I'm saying? So you know, be on the lookout for like, you know, Carlson and Couture to be on the move. Maybe this offseason, maybe sometime next season. Who knows? But point I'm trying to say is the team is obviously, whether they're going to admit it or not, they're going through the next phase. They are retooling, rebuilding. Mike Greer doesn't care what R word you use. But bottom line is the Sharks are going to do what's best for the future of the franchise. Now, there's a dream out there called Connor Bedard for a lot of hockey fans. And what is what is everything that I'm trying to say have to do with this is I feel like with the projections and with the um you know the statements of our veterans essentially sounding like they want to play somewhere else or some of our vets like Burns and Meyer who are playing somewhere else now. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't but feel that all this fueled and incentivized the fan base to cheer for a loss. To cheer for the Sharks to do what they call tanking. The team has uh, many times you know, put on record saying that they do not tank. And the broadcast team has emphasized throughout the entire season how there's no incentive for a NHL professional team or a player to you know, tank. You know what I mean? Because it makes no sense for your career and that. You know, excuse the fan base on this side because I can understand where the fans are coming from. I mean, after all, you know, if you sign that deal to San Jose Sharks, you know, you that's your job. You know, you, you that's how you secure employment. That's how you, you know, I mean, you put food on the table with, with you know, that contract, right? So, you know, when you sign an extended deal, like if you're on the 8x8, the way I see it is you're essentially a company guy, right? Like, so... You know, you're going to do whatever's best for that team. I'm not saying that they're deliberately throwing games. What I will say, though, is that we've all seen the efforts that were going down late in the season before they decided to string together a couple of wins that took them out of the race for Bedard. But the point I'm trying to get at is we've all seen the efforts. You know, the, no one's skating backwards during overtimes, leaving the goalie to hang uh, hang to dry multiple times. I mean, I could go on and on and on, you know, with, with the turnovers in the defensive zone or in front of the crease to like, you know, mishandling the puck from guys who are supposed to be the leaders. Back to the point. It was all a recipe for disaster that I feel incentivized this fever called Tank for Bedard. What is this whole thing, this whole segment about? Um, I'm protesting. I'm going to protest the Tank for Bedard movement as I, can, <laughs> as I have all season long, baby. Listen, we get Connor Bedard, awesome. But I think that the epitome of San Jose Sharks hockey being like 
at its lowest point in history, just not on, you know, like in terms of like, you know, the win-loss and the records and all that and missing the playoffs, but also, you know, like, you know, the attendance and all that stuff. But just like in terms of like general fan interest, like the fact that you have a whole, like, and it's a small group, you know, but the fact that you have like essentially a, a portion of your families out there that have really nothing much to look forward to except like, you know, losing so they could like kind of realize this dream of maybe this projected superstar or f- generational talent player to be on the Sharks and then, you know, they could reap the rewards. But it just shocks me. I've never seen in the 20 plus years being a fan, I've never seen ever like you know a movement where and this isn't just exclusive to sharks fans this was everywhere for i mean this was as far south as anaheim as you know as far northeast as columbus i mean this this fever took over a lot of fan bases but what tripped me out is that it actually like really like it really like you know embedded itself in Sharks territory because, you know, it started to come to the point where the Sharks fans were detesting the team for winning. I was like, what is this? Anyways, so that's that's all I'm trying to get out. I'm just reacting to this phenomenon called Tank for Bedard. At the same token, I am, like, rejecting the ideology of, you know, losing games for future, potential future success. You know what I'm saying? It makes no sense. And then also, I'm kind of trying to say, like, you know, it's hard to say that you're not trying to tank when the effort is suggesting otherwise on the rink. And that is it. All this to say, I don't care for it to tank for Bedard. I've said multiple times, I'm not dependent on the next, you know, rookie in the upcoming draft to be like, you know, the one that's going to like, you know, oh, it's the missing link. I feel like the Sharks have what they need now. They just got to utilize them. But also, I want to say this. I'm glad that this is over. I can't wait for the draft, uh, the lottery draft, or the draft lottery. Hey, if the Sharks win, I've said it before too. Awesome. I'd rather them win it through the lottery than be the worst team in the league. And if I want to extend that just a little bit further... After this whole entire draft has passed us, I really hope that this era and attitude towards Sharks hockey is done. I want to see the tank field up next season, and I want to see the fan base get behind our guys and cheer them towards victory. Anyways, let's not incentivize the losses. You want them to win more games at home? Show up more often when they're playing at home. Speaking of home games. All right, so obviously on the ice, the headliner of this season was Eric Carlson, which we'll get to in a moment. But in my opinion, the biggest main event of the 2022-2023 season was Patrick Marlowe's jersey retirement. In terms of ceremonies, Sharks fans got a little glimpse and taste of what it might feel like with Doug Wilson's DW banner being raised early in the season to commemorate his time in Sharks territory. However, nothing compared to being not just at the tank, 
or the Legends game, but right there in person City Hall with the city mayor, the team, front office, and the legend himself, Patrick Marlowe, when it was declared in the city of San Jose to be Patrick Marlowe Day. Honestly, that was, I think, a jolt of electricity that the Sharks fans needed, desperately needed. Um, you know, a lot of fills were associated with Patrick Marlowe. I mean, he's honestly one of those players. Um, I think Curtis Brown said it himself, like, you won't even begin to grasp or be even, like, you know, it'll be a while before you could actually look back and realize, you know, like, I watched Patrick Marlowe play. Most of you guys watched him his entire career, but nonetheless, whether you're an old, you know, Sharks fan from the, uh, you know, the, you know, the Heritage Eras, or you're a new Sharks fan, you know, just recently from like, you know, when they're in the Stanley Cup final, Patrick Marlowe has, you know, he's he's been a San Jose Shark for so long, you know what I'm saying? And um, all I'm trying to get at is the ceremony was amazing. Uh, being there in person was a blessing. I was so ecstatic to see the template, I guess is the best way to say it, you know, be revealed right there in front of everybody else at the tank. Um, that was a big deal. A lot of us were speculating what it would look like, what direction the Sharks would go in terms of, you know, raising the banner. Most of us were expecting that 12 and, you know, the little silhouette, the number 12 of Patrick Marlowe's silhouette that they used to honor him breaking the National Hockey League's record for career most games played and also, um, you know, the flag, uh, the design they used to hang during the flag raising ceremony in downtown San Jose. Um, but I'm so happy that they went with a till white and black uh, template with the name and the number and with the current Sharks logo. Now, I, I paid attention to that immediately because you know as I was saying earlier in this um, episode it'd be nice to see the trust eventually go back to the heritage look full time but the reality situation is this season with Patrick Marlowe's uh, jersey being raised to the rafters that current Sharks logo that's right there underneath the number 12 I think is without a doubt the biggest indication that the Sharks are going to continue to use this current Pacific Till Shark, you know, a little bit more aggressive Shark look. Now, this Pacific Till modern Sharks logo, you know, for probably, you know, um, the duration of their time. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just don't raise the jersey of the most iconic player the only player that bears the name Mr. San Jose Shark. Okay, you just don't raise his name and his number to, to the rafters and have that logo on the banner if you're going to intend to eventually or soon uh, return to the heritage look. It just doesn't make sense. What we see with that banner is a template. So obviously, hanging up next to that eventually will be Joe Thornton, which I am more than positive will be next. Um, once he announces his retirement, classy move to not retire um, and announce that during this year when Marlowe is being honored. But back to the point with Patrick Marlowe um, and and the whole um, Jersey um, retirement. 
the banner is to me it's the chef's kiss it was amazing that was like one that was one of the things that I was hoping the Sharks team would definitely come through on and they came through all right they came through 100 on that one um really happy to see that banner there cannot wait till next season to attend another game and you know look at it <laughs> in you know in wonder and awe but anyways that was just an amazing moment. It was, it was an amazing experience. I was, you know, it was really awesome. And again, fortunate and blessed enough to be here in Sounds Like California and to, you know, attend those uh, moments live. If you haven't had a chance to peep it already, uh, have the live video and stream available on our YouTube channel, which, by the way, would be probably a solid time to let you all know that you could follow Shark City Hockey throughout the entire offseason this summer. You know, um, Stay up to date with us in terms of what's going on in Sharks territory, and you know, you know, stay, uh, stay on the lookout for our uh, live streams, our videos, and podcasts that we'll be dropping throughout our uh, throughout the summer. But uh, you can follow us across the board at Shark City Hockey. All right. Uh, so yeah, back to Patrick Marlowe, man. Um, really, really awesome, really amazing um, moment. I was, I was glad to be there, and honestly. It was long overdue, okay? Sharks fans have been waiting for a jersey to be retired, and we have plenty of candidates that we want to see. Um, a lot of the a lot of the guys, with the exception of one, a lot of these, a lot of guys, um, a lot of the players that we want to see numbers in the rafters, uh, their numbers are in circulation right now on, you know, currently on the main roster, so it is what it is. But, um, yeah, classy move by Thornton. I'm sure the situation... I mean, it's pretty clear. Uh, as Eric Carlson said, he's hanging around the building, probably using the showers. He said it during the All-Star game, um, our All-Star break. But back to the point. Um, I think now that Marlowe's number is hanging there, because it's obvious he should be the one that was first, uh, I think that's going to open up the floodgates, and now we'll start to see more banners raised. Joe Thornton, more than likely, if he announces his retirement, Anytime from now to, you know, before the season begins, I'm sure he'll be next. And who knows? Maybe we'll have more than one jersey retirement ceremonious season. We'll see what happens. So we took the social media again and asked fans, will Joe Thornton's jersey retirement happen next? Specifically, is Joe Thornton's number 19 going up in 2023, 2024? 94% of you believe it's a yes. <laughs> All right. So, you know, if you didn't get to see, um, you know, Marlowe's in person, you could be there for Jumbo Joe's. All right. It would be just as glorious. All right. Speaking of glorious, it's now time to speak about. Um, <clears throat> it's now time to speak about who, you know, essentially carried the San Jose Sharks this season. And that is, of course, Eric Carlson. Is it because he is fully healthy? Who knows? Is it because, you know, Brent Burns is no longer there to kind of like restrict his style of play? You could you could say so. You know, pick or choose which, you know, path you want to go down as to explain why Eric Carlson is having himself, which I'll start to say, because before I didn't think he was going to do it, because defensively it's not there. But, I mean, he scored 101 points this season, right? 
I mentioned it already. If he got to the centennial mark, if he got to 100 points, then you may have to force the issue. You cannot just turn, you know, like you just can't ignore Eric Carlson. I mean, sure, the defense is still one of the worst, but it, it is what it is, man. What he has done this season is outstanding. It's amazing. And he's done things this season defensively that has never been done in the history of the San Jose Sharks. All right, so we're about going to that right now. So all this is courtesy of the San Jose Sharks. This was uh, part of their media guide that they release practically every game day. Okay, um, so that's where these notes were compiled through. But long story short is Eric Carlson. He became the sixth NHL defenseman to reach 100 points, joining Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, Denise Paltvin, Al McInnes and Brian Leach as the only defenseman to do so. All right. Eric Carlson ended the season as one of four defensemen in NHL history to have 30 multi point games in a season. Eric Carlson finished with the second most points in a season in Sharks team history. The only player to score more points in a season was Joe Thornton. And most importantly, Eric Carlson appeared in 82 games for the fourth time in his career. So, how do you all feel out there, Sharks territory? Do you all think... That the Sharks should part ways with Eric Carlson after this one fantastic season. <laughs> oh man, I know that right there will be keeping Sharks territory debating all throughout the summer. But what I will tell you is we went to social media again to ask other Sharks fans, fellow Sharks fans, if they feel that um, Eric Carlson, you know, after this historic season, we asked, will. EK65 be on the roster on opening night. Face-off 2023. Is Eric Carlson going to be on the Sharks roster? 49% of you say yes. 51% say no. I think we could go ahead and say that that's practically like like even. All right. Well, it's not, not exactly, but you're getting the point. Almost half of Sharks territory think that Eric Carlson will still be on the roster come next season. And I'm down for it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I want to see if this is just essentially, you know, a great moment in his career, a great moment in time where his trade value will never be higher. And, you know, will the Sharks, you know, capitalize on that? Will they get, you know, maximum return for, you know, a, uh, a player having, you know, like pretty much going, you know, toe to toe or stride for stride with like Connor McDavid, right? And he's on the blue line. <laughs> or, or you know, do the Sharks see if, you know, he will again provide another season where he plays 82 games and he's a juggernaut and, you know, finally living up to that $11.5 million salary, right? 
I don't know. I'm mixed, just like the rest of you out there, right? Anyways, but all I know is that, you know, watching Eric Carlson this season has been a pleasure. It always has been. I never really cared for any of the noise or any of, like, the the heat that's kind of pinned on him. Like, oh, the reason why we lost core players or the reason why, you know, said group was, you know, broken up is because we had to accommodate for his contract. But, nah, I'm not buying it, okay? Um... For those of you who are fans of EK65, congratulations. You got to see one of your favorite players finally play up to the potential you knew he was uh, capable of, you know, to that, you know, playing at that level of hockey that you knew he was capable of playing, of, you know, competing at. And then, you know, for those of you who want to see him not on the roster anymore and no longer having the cap hit toward that salary, which is impossible. If Eric Carlson isn't playing on the Sharks, he'll still be getting paid by the Sharks. They're going to retain some of that salary if they're going to get rid of him. It's, just, it's, it's, it's absolutely going to happen. If, if they can find a way to part ways with him and not retain a single dime, then I'll be truly impressed. But um, since it seems like he's going to be here for the long run and he says you know he wants to win, but that, you know, I mean, a lot was said. Over throughout the course of the season, but the last thing I remember reading is that they have had no conversations, Mike Greer and Eric Carlson, about potentially being traded. Whether or not those conversations may occur in the next couple of months, you know, we'll have to wait and find out. And that's going to conclude our 2022-23 Salzy Sharks season wrap up. I believe I hit on all the points already. Um, Mike Greer being hired and all the uh, ways he molded this year's team uh, David Quinn's first season as a head coach the two biggest transactions of the year with Brent Burns and Timo Meyer. I also um, talked about some of my favorite moments that being the Patrick Marlowe jersey retirement obviously watching EK65 this season has also been a pleasure my final reaction to the new threads that debuted this season and of course, my last take on the whole tank for Bedard nonsense. I'm Aaron James. This has been the Shark City Podcast, episode 70. Hopefully the Sharks can nail the number one pick overall. Um, so the last poll I want to share with you that we got from our followers online. Again, you can follow us on social media at Shark City Hockey across the board. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch. You name it. Anyways, um, but we asked fans if you think now, you know, that the season's over, if the Sharks still have a shot at winning the um, draft lottery. And 56% of you out there still feel that the San Jose Sharks can end up with Connor Bedard. So we'll be getting together in a couple of weeks to discuss what happens. And, you know, if the Sharks should land him, then, oh, it's going to be quite the episode. And if not, it'll be all right, baby. I am Aaron James signing off. Y'all have a great off-season. Enjoy the summer. Don't forget to stay up to date with us by turning on those notifications, subscribing, and all that jazz, all right?